Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer podcast with your host, me, Dr. Amy Horneman, aka the Thyroid Fixer, functional medicine practitioner, hormone and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone and health related in order to empower, educate and transform you. So if you're ready to get your life back, let's get started. Okay, this episode I am just so excited about because it's your episode. All of the questions from today are coming from my private Facebook group, Dr. Amy, the Thyroid Fixer, Love Your Mirror. So if you want to be a part of this and you want to be on the Thyroid Fixer podcast in future episodes, make sure you jump over there and join. Are you finally at your wit's end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. The group is like one big family in there. You can ask questions, you can post labs, you can get crazy support from everyone in there. We're up to what, almost 3.5 thousand members. And if you're listening to this in a month, it'll be 4,000 and two months, it'll be 5,000. It's just growing. And I absolutely love it because it's a community of thyroid patients, of hormone patients, all sharing their story, all looking for advice, all giving support. So these questions today are from that group. It's going to be a big hodgepodge. Now, the other thing I'm excited about are Fixer Sub's hats come out this week with all of the sayings. So this one I have on right now, LHS, what do we say? Lift heavy shit, right? That is how you get your testosterone up. That is how you get that sexy lean muscle mass. We have another, we have a GSD hat too. We have another Stay Strong LHS. So we're going to have those hats on sale this week. We'll post about it. No worries. But you got to grab one and represent. Plus they just look kind of sexy, don't you think? They just do. All right. On to your questions. I'm so excited. Let me bring them up. We're just going to go right down. Hopefully I'm going to get them all in today. If not, we can just do another episode. Okay. This one is from Sammy. Sammy says... What should you do if you can only tolerate small doses of T3 due to high cortisol levels? How do you improve the amount of T3 you can tolerate? So this is a great question, Sammy. First of all, whenever I have a patient that can't really tolerate even 2.5 micrograms twice a day, and that alone makes them a little bit too jittery, too anxious, there's a couple different things that we can try. And yes, it can be from high cortisol. So obviously, if you know that you have high cortisol, you need to address that. 
So you need to do all the things to bring your cortisol levels down. Now, if you're working with a practitioner, maybe he or she is telling you to do phosphatidylserine. Maybe you're doing some rhodiola rosea. That's a really good one for an adaptogen in terms of balancing cortisol. So there's many different things that you can do to address that high cortisol. Obviously, meditation, deep breathing, that actually has a physiologic effect on the body to lower cortisol levels. Taking things like Tonkat Ali. So the ingredient that I talk about, we have a separate podcast on it. Tonkat Ali or long jackfruit that is in hormone fixer and it's also in SHBG fixer, soon to be called bedroom fixer because no one knows what SHBG is. So we're changing the name, but the Tonkat Ali in there also helps to balance cortisol and helps reduce insulin, has a host of other benefits to like increasing growth hormone. So you can do all those things, but what you can do to maybe try and tolerate more T3 would be number one, switch to armor as long as your reverse T3 isn't elevated. If your reverse is elevated, then you can't just make a switch over to armor. If you're on, let's say T3 only, and you're trying to increase that dose, or maybe you're taking T4 separately and T3 separately, like Synthroid and Lyothyronine. In that case, and you want to keep it there, maybe you've tried armor in the past, it didn't work. And the reason why I'm saying to do armor is the T3 in natural desiccated thyroid medication is sometimes, and I say this sometimes, sometimes more tolerated. It's a more tolerable form of T3. So sometimes that can help just changing over. And then the other thing you can do is to look at your gut because when someone has a really messed up gut, dysbiosis, H. pylori, uh, SIBO, candida, then we find that that absorption of the T3, just it doesn't work as well. It's not absorbed through the gut lining or it's too quickly absorbed. And people with gut issues, they're just more sensitive because 90% of your serotonin is made in your gut anyways. So when you have a dysbiotic gut, that's going to affect the absorption of the T3. It's also going to affect your mood. So you might be sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I can't tolerate this T3 because I'm so anxious and I feel like I'm crawling out of my skin when in reality, it's because you're not even getting the proper amount of serotonin production because your gut is a mess. So those are just some tips, Sammy, that you can certainly start off with. Obviously, taking T2 thyroid fixer, that is going to help with your basal metabolic rate as well as your mitochondria. So even if you can't take T3, and here's the beauty of T2, for those who can't tolerate a higher dose of T3, it's going to have the beneficial effects on the body, like increasing your metabolism, like increasing your ATP and improving your energy without the jitteriness, without the thyromimetic effects, without the cardiovascular effects of increased heart rate, if that's what you're experiencing. So that is one way to get all the benefits, especially, and you know what, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I didn't even think about that in that chart that we have of who should take thyroid fixer. I didn't even think to put on there those who don't tolerate higher doses of T3. And that's absolutely a category that we should add because there are many people out there that just simply cannot tolerate going up in T3. They're very sensitive to medication. So you can get that same benefit with T2 without even needing to go up in your T3 dose. All right. This next one is from Paige. I'm 21 and I have no period. How can I get it back? Should I be taking estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone? Ooh, Paige. Okay, girl. 
So first of all, we need to start somewhere. We need to start with your thyroid. Whenever you are not having a cycle, and especially if you're as young as you are, we want to check for PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So we want to definitely test your estrogen, your progesterone, your free and total testosterone, your DHEA, your sex hormone binding globulin, because in your case, your SHBG might be low and that causes more androgens to be released. That high androgen, that's why we're testing the free and total testosterone and DHEA. Those high androgens in the case of PCOS can also contribute to insulin resistance and mess up your cycles. So with PCOS, we normally see irregular or non-existent cycles. We see sometimes acne, weight gain, the insulin resistance, a little bit of hertuism, the chin hair growth, and a little bit of mustache, chin, sideburns, that kind of dark hair growth. Sometimes we'll see that darkening of the skin. So we want to check you for PCOS. We want to check your hormone levels. We want to check your thyroid levels. We want to check your insulin levels. And then make sure that that's all balanced. Because really when you start there and you start addressing those things that we're finding... And when you test thoroughly, Paige, there's going to be an answer, right? Because it's not normal for a 21-year-old to not have their cycle. Now, I will say this. If you happen to be underweight, if you are, and you hear this in, you know, you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again. Athletes, endurance athletes, competitors. When I used to compete in fitness and, and bodybuilding, fitness figure and bodybuilding, definitely there were girls all the time losing their cycles. Now, I had PCOS anyways. So I had messed up cycles anyways. I don't know whether or not the competing and the extreme dieting and exercise contributed to further reduce my cycles or mess them up even further. I would have one, you know, maybe randomly every four months, five months, something like that. So that probably contributed as we know that extreme diet and exercise will, as will low body fat percent that will contribute to irregular or non-existent cycles. So that's something that you definitely want to check, but I would also 100% get all thyroid hormones checked. All right, next question. I love these. I love these, you guys. Next question is from Kelly. How bad is it if your TSH is below normal? Free T3 and free T4 are in optimal range. Had a total thyroidectomy in 2019 due to multi-nodule goiter. Had no cancer. TSH has not been normal since surgery. So Callie, first of all, your TSH better be below normal. And I know the cancer wasn't present. So if you were to get a little bit of tissue regrowth, not a big deal. But if cancer was present, then the goal is actually to keep TSH suppressed so that tissue regrowth cannot occur. The fact that you had a total thyroidectomy, and, and I'm just going to assume with you saying that free T3 and free T4 are in optimal range. You didn't even use the word normal. You're saying optimal. So if free T3 and free T4 are in the optimal range, then my goodness, yeah, 100% TSH is going to go low because the only way that you're in optimal range is if you're taking T3 medication, which you have to be. Because when you have your thyroid out, and this is kind of a message for all my total thyroidectomy, radioactive iodine patients out there. If you had your thyroid removed, remember the thyroid gland once produced or eradicated, blown up with radioactive iodine, the thyroid gland once produced T4 and T3. So not only did it produce the active thyroid hormone that you need, T3, 
It also is the main conversion gland of T4 to T3. So without your thyroid, now you're having issues converting. So I would definitely ask you, have you tested your reverse T3? But any amount of T3 medication, let's just assume that those are optimal. You're feeling great, no symptoms whatsoever, but your TSH is low. Don't care. In fact, we're kind of at the point, at least in my practice, where I'll look at a TSH. Sometimes we test it. Sometimes we don't. I'll look at a TSH, but I don't care where it's at. It's going to be low. And if you've heard me talk about my own labs, I'm on T3 only, 75 micrograms twice a day, have been for over a decade, 15 years, 20 years, something like that. My TSH is non-existent, like 0.007. In fact, I think it actually came up this last time. I think it might have taken off a zero from it. Now I'm like 0.05 or 0.07 because I've been taking iodine. So iodine will raise your TSH a little bit until it kind of balances out. Sarah Bantha and I talked about this on one of our podcasts on iodine. So I think mine even came up a little bit. The point being is that yours is going to be suppressed because you're on T3 medication. Hopefully, hopefully you are. Heather says, how can one tell if T4 needs to be added by blood work alone if you're on T3 only? These are great questions. Really nice job, Heather. Okay. So if you're on T3 only, there's a reason right? So maybe your reverse T3 was high, or maybe just through trial and error, you determine that whenever you add in T4, it makes you sick. It brings you into hypo. That's what happened to me. It wasn't necessarily way back in the beginning, I had elevated reverse T3. But since then, I have played around with my dose. And I have tried and it's been years, but I have tried adding in T4 like a tiny amount, 25 micrograms of T4. When I add that in within a week, I am depressed and I am 10 pounds heavier. I kid you not. So that is one way that you can tell, even if you're experimenting a little bit on yourself, adding in a little bit of T4, how do you feel? Do you feel worse? Do you feel better? If you continue that for a week, two weeks, four weeks, two months, do you feel worse or do you feel better? Because really, I don't care so much about the labs. I care about you and how you're feeling. So if you are improving, then by all means, let's keep walking down that path. So I have one patient right now that she had a super high reverse T3, like 21. We had on armor. So we had to drop the armor and do T3 only for a short amount of time just to bring that reverse T3 down. Well, on the T3 only, her TSH actually went up. It was it was a point something, you know, below a one. And then it went up to a two point, let's say three-ish. And she was feeling it and her free T4 went down and her reverse did go down. So her reverse went down to a 12. So we're kind of in that borderline state of, okay, we could definitely add in just a little bit of T4, might even add in some armor. So she gets the T4 and T3 together to see if we can't bring down that TSH, and we might add in a little bit of T3 as well. Bring down that TSH, bring up the free T4 a little bit, but really it's about kind of bringing down that TSH below a two and getting her to feel better. So it, a lot of times it's experimentation to really, and that's why I always say that progress isn't linear when we start optimizing your thyroid because you might hit these weird bumps where it's like, oh, my reverse just went up. 
Why is that? For And for no other reason, it's not like she had an infection or active Epstein-Barr virus or her insulin went through the roof. Her reverse just went up. She's having a conversion issue. So maybe we can do a little bit of T4, but we probably don't want to do too much T4 because it's just going to, we can see that trend of the elevated reverse T3. So yeah, Heather, hopefully that answers your question. The best way is trial and error and how you feel because those are the four most important words. That's the question that every doctor should be asking you. How do you feel? Even when patients send me lab results, I send back before I even go over the results the question, okay, how are you feeling? Because that matters in terms of what we're looking at on paper, because you are so much more than a lab value. It's all about how you feel. Patty asks, can too much lyothyronine cause carb cravings and or weight gain, joint or muscle pain, and raise your blood pressure? My doctor was very concerned at the amount of T3 I'm taking. I reduced it, and my joints and muscles do not ache nearly as much by day two. All right, let's break this down, Patty. So lyothyronine in and of itself is T3. T3 is not going to cause any kind of weight gain or carb cravings unless it's just increasing your metabolism. And whenever we get that increased metabolism, we can get more hungry because our body's really like that set point of weight. And even if you don't like your set point, our body is kind of like a set point because if you've been at a certain weight for a while, you know, it, it almost wants to always go back there. So when you start increasing your metabolism and losing weight, you might experience a little bit more hunger because everything is revving now. You know, your, your systems are a go with that T3. Now, you didn't say how much T3 you're taking. So I don't know with this quote of my doctor was very concerned at the amount of T3 I'm taking. We don't know what that is. I've had doctors concerned, air quotes, with the amount of T3 that a patient is taking, and they're taking 20 micrograms, like total. There's no need to be concerned. So it kind of depends on how much you're taking. Now, part two of this answer is maybe it is the fillers in the lyothyronine that you are reacting to. There are less fillers in generic T3 than the amount of fillers in brand Cytomel. As per a few years ago with a chart that came out showing the fillers, they could have changed this by now, but, and there are different manufacturers. So this is part three of my answer to you, Patty. There are different manufacturers of lyothyronine. You might find one that you don't tolerate at all, and you might be going hypo, thus the weight gain, the carbon sugar cravings, the joint and muscle pain, or you might even be going a little bit hyper. When I changed, when I had the manufacturer changed on me by my pharmacy, I was maybe a week in and realized that it was the manufacturer that was causing my anxiety, my jitteriness, my feeling like, uh, I was just like crawling out of my skin. It was all about the manufacturer. So I had to call the pharmacy and ask them to please order that last manufacturer. I was using Greenstone please order that last manufacturer because I don't tolerate this new one. And the pills look different too. So it could be the manufacturer. It could be the fillers. I hate to see you move to compounded T3 because that's usually 
not strong enough and it, it usually pushes people into hypo. I really don't like slow release T3 because what they put in it to make it a slow release form slows the absorption. So a 10 microgram compounded T3, you might be getting five to seven of those micrograms. Maybe, maybe, I would argue maybe even less because every single one of my patients that have come to me on compounded come to me hypo and they're feeling like garbage. So it could be that you need to change over if it is indeed the fillers. Now, liothyronine T3 in and of itself will in a good way raise your blood pressure because it's bringing you out of low and slow. So the vitals that we check are heart rate, morning body temperature, and body temperature of the day as you're taking your T3, as well as blood pressure. And we want all of those to go up because when you're down here in hypo mode and you're low and slow, all of those are very low. So I will have some patients say, oh my God, my heart's racing, my heart's racing. I go, what is it? They're like, it's 70. I'm like, okay, you're normal now because you were your heart rate was once 50 and your body temp was 96. You know, so everything is coming up out of the basement, out of that low and slow mode into a higher metabolism and increased blood pressure, increased heart rate, increased body temperature. So it could be kind of a good thing, Patty, that your BP is going up, but the joints, the muscles, that going down on day two, that is speaking more to me like fillers. I mean, that's just, that's just sounding more like the fillers in the medication itself. So, okay. This question is very important because I think it's going to speak to many of you. Leslie asks, can thyroid fixer cause GI issues? I have heartburn when I take the supplement. I took it for one and a half weeks, had heartburn, stopped, no heartburn. Started again, so did the heartburn. So I asked her before we came on here, are you taking it with food? because there's nothing in it that would cause heartburn. So I'm wondering if you're taking it on too empty of a stomach. And sure enough, Leslie says, yep, I've been taking it on empty stomach. I usually fast until 1 p.m. and sometimes later when I only have one meal. I'll definitely try taking it with food, yeah. So when you're taking any supplement, it can be mine, it can be any supplement at all. I do recommend taking supplements with some kind of food. So even if you are... Well, if you're fasting, I know you don't really want to necessarily break the fast, but Leslie, I would encourage you to listen to my intermittent fasting podcast from last week, because if you're doing an OMAD, if you're doing one meal a day, there's no way you are getting in the amount of protein required by your body. And you're going to start losing hair. You're going to start losing muscle tissue. You need those amino acids and you need that protein as a building block for that sexy lean muscle, for good quality hair. I mean, a lot of thyroid patients are complaining about the hair loss. Yeah, it could be thyroid. It could be that you're not getting enough protein because you ladies are notorious. And I'm in the camp too, so I'm not standing on a pedestal at all. Notorious for not taking in enough protein on a daily basis. You should be getting in one gram per pound of lean body mass. Let's say you're 140 but your happy weight is 120 and you most likely have that 120 or give or take 110 pounds of lean muscle mass, lean body mass. 
get 110 grams of protein in, 110 to 120, get that in. You're probably not. So I know I digressed right there, but supplements, even if you have to take a tablespoon of coconut oil, a tablespoon of almond butter, cashew butter, if you have to maybe do a Greek yogurt, like a Siggy's Greek yogurt, organic Greek yogurt, take a couple bites and get something on your stomach or move those supplements to your lunch when you break your fast. And I would definitely encourage you to only fast until 1 p.m. and not fast until later and break that fast at 1 p.m. with a protein source and then take your supplements. It's going to make a world of difference. Don't anyone take supplements on an empty stomach. All right, Cassidy, recommended carb intake for the rare hypo patient who isn't insulin resistant has no thyroid antibodies, aka no Hashi, and has good A1C levels. Yay. Is berberine beneficial? Recommend if you're not insulin resistant. All right, Cassie, you're not that rare. I do have hypo patients that, I mean, they, well, I mean, 10%, okay, you're in the 10%, who are not insulin resistant. Beautiful A1C, insulin below a six, no thyroid antibodies. The question becomes, do you have to lose weight? Do you want to lose weight? Is that a goal of yours? Or are you also a hypo patient that has a pretty steady weight? If you're not insulin resistant, you can absolutely take in a little bit more carbs. I mean, I would still stay in the paleo realm. So you're still gluten-free, you're focused on protein, you're focused on the good quality fats. Maybe you're throwing in the good carbohydrate sources too. So you're increasing your carb sources, maybe with more vegetables, some dark chocolate, some sweet potatoes, maybe a regular potato you're increasing your carbohydrate intake with really good sources of non-processed carbohydrates. So you could easily go up to 100, and if you're 100 grams a day, and if you're not gaining weight from that, then there's your sweet spot. If you are going above that and taking in more carbs, even though you're not insulin resistant, and you're gaining weight, then you want to reduce those carbohydrates or really take a good look at your macros to see exactly and your, you know all of your nutrients to really see where you are falling. So it kind of depends on your goals. But berberine comes in to really help stabilize. I'll even use berberine with hypoglycemic patients. So if their insulin's good, but their blood sugar is dropping down, they're getting these crazy lows of 60 and 70 we can absolutely bring in berberine to help stabilize. So everything becomes a nice wave-like pattern. Everything is nice and stable and smooth. So we can 100% do that with the berberine. Berberine is also beneficial for your gut. It's, we use berberine independent of insulin resistance in gut healing protocols. And we also use berberine just as an overall antioxidant. We'll use it to lower lipids, triglycerides, it's antimicrobial, antibacterial. It acts almost like the, the actual Burberry plant acts like an antibiotic without obviously destroying your gut like antibiotics do. So there are other benefits to Burberine, but it kind of all comes down to what your goals are right there. Bonnie, how can you determine root cause for goiter hypo, hypothyroidism? No Hashimoto's. I don't want to take thyroid hormone forever. And Maureen chimed in and she said, me too, just hypo. Okay, let's break this one down. 
I'm thinking on this for a second because I am going to be coming out with a podcast that's going to be a little bit controversial, kind of calling out this whole root cause movement. I know I'm functional medicine. The definition of functional medicine is finding the root cause. But when it comes to hypothyroidism, I think there's too much bullshit online right now. There's too many practitioners in this space promising you total natural healing. If you just do this protocol or you just heal your gut, or if you just take an adrenal supplement, you'll be fine. That's the root cause, right? It's all, let's blame it on your adrenals. Let's blame it on your gut. Let's blame it on the kid down the street. Cause it's gotta be a root cause other than just a screwed up thyroid, right? Or maybe it's just hypothyroidism that needs to be treated. And if you do that and all the symptoms go away, you didn't have to spend $10,000 on functional tests trying to find the root cause and another 10 grand on a bunch of bullshit protocols trying to address the root cause when really you just need to fix your thyroid, maybe address some hormones, maybe address some insulin resistance, clean up your diet, lift heavy shit, and then you're fine. Too many people, and you know, there's not a lot out there, but I saw this in one of the Facebook groups today where an admin jumped in and, and said, you know, and she said it perfectly, that thyroid hormone replacement therapy is not under the category of medication. Yeah, it's a medication. And this is exactly what I say. So kudos to her for saying this. Yes, it's a medication in that you go to the store, to the drugstore to pick it up. It has to be written as a prescription. However, you are replacing hormones that are no longer being properly made in your body. So in the case of insulin, if you were a type one diabetic, Bonnie, and you said to me, I don't want to take medication. Is there a way to just deal with this type one diabetes without insulin? I'd say, yeah, death, because you're going to die without insulin. Insulin is a hormone. And unless you take it because your body's no longer making it and it's needed for life, you're going to die. So that's your choice. So you would be like, oh, yeah, well, please give me the insulin. I'll, in that case, I'll take a medication, right? Thyroid hormone replacement therapy is no different. Although you're probably not going to die soon, you're going to live a very short, miserable life if you don't address that. If you don't replace the hormones that are no longer being properly made by your body. And I will also say you will get into that cycle of chasing the root cause and spending a boatload of cash on treatments to address the root cause, you know, the EBV protocol and the gut protocol and the adrenal healing protocol and the heal your thyroid through my baby mama protocol. It's not going to work. I mean, you might feel a little bit better. And yeah, obviously gut health and adrenal health play a role. Just like when I answered the very, very first question from Sammy. Yeah, you want to address the gut, especially if you're sensitive to T3. You want to address the adrenals because I don't want you walking around with super high cortisol all day that's jacking up your blood sugar, that's interfering with T3. 100% we want to look at all of that. But if you're chasing the root cause, it's going to be a long chase. It's like dog chasing his tail. You're never going to catch it. 
And then you're skipping over that, which could absolutely help you. Now, there's one caveat to that, Miss Bonnie, if you are right on the border, meaning I have had patients come to me just like you know antibodies, although that doesn't rule out Hashimoto's because the antibodies come back as a false negative and 95% of all hypothyroidism is Hashimoto's. So if you've been gluten-free for a while, you might not have antibodies that register. All right, let's say you're coming in and your free T3 is a 3 and your TSH is a 2.1 and your reverse T3 is a 12. You know, like you're right on that border of everything. That's where we go, you know, we actually might be able to help you and heal you without having to use medication. Maybe, maybe we might be able to, but it's going to be also dependent on your symptoms and how do you feel? So if you're coming to me with a laundry list of symptoms, you're like, man, I just, I, I am gaining weight. I cannot lose no matter what I do. I've been tracking my food. My insulin's good. My hormones are good, but wow, what, what do I do for all these symptoms? I'm tired during the day. My hair is falling out. I have no libido whatsoever. Well, hello, we need to address your thyroid. Because again, do you want to chase it? You want to chase your tail? Or do you just want to go for it and address it and get rid of the symptoms? So it's kind of where you are in your journey as well. But I hope that helps. That is my answer. And I'll have an entire other podcast on why are we so focused on this root cause stuff? It's a moneymaker. It's a moneymaker for practitioners out there. And I will say this on the podcast, but I'll say it here too. I would be out of integrity if I claimed that I could heal you naturally. I have walked this walk. I have been given the shaft by doctors. I have been misdiagnosed six times. I have been there and done that. And I understand the importance of medication. I cannot sit here and claim that we can heal you by doing, and I could absolutely come up with some kind of natural thyroid healing protocol. Sure. But I'm not going to do that because I know in my heart of hearts that it's not going to get you where you need to go. It's not going to help you. And when you look at all of the patients that I've treated, it's the whole both and. It's the both and theory. Yes, we have to address nutrition. Yes, we have to address a messed up gut, candida, whatever it is. Yeah, I don't want you walking around with sky high cortisol or bottomed out cortisol. I want your adrenals happy and working. But none of that's going to happen if we don't do this component here, and that is optimize your thyroid and this component here and optimize your hormones. Because if you're over the age of 30, your hormones are not going to be perfect. They're not. Progesterone starts to decline. Testosterone can decline whenever, unless you have PCOS and your testosterone, your androgens are sky high through the roof. So we want to be able to address everything the right way. And oftentimes that requires thyroid hormone replacement therapy. Okay, moving on. Can COVID be the result of higher antibodies? If so, when does a body typically chill out from post-COVID? And then I asked her a question if she could clarify, are you talking about does having COVID, do you mean that having COVID increases your antibodies? And how much did they increase? Did your symptoms increase as well? How's your free T3 and your reverse T3? And Joanna said, correct. Uh, can post-COVID increase antibodies? The number keeps slowly rising 
even though I'm being super strict in my lifestyle, doing all the right things, free T3 is 2.1, reverse T3 is a 13. So let's start here, Joanna. So first of all, you are too focused on the antibodies. So I have a separate podcast. Don't hang your hat on your antibodies, right? They're just a number. They're going, antibodies can go up in any kind of inflammatory state. So we know that post COVID there, there's a cytokine storm. That's what's causing these long haulers. So there's a cytokine storm. And then we see this increase in inflammation in the body. And even with the VAX, we're also seeing increased CRP, HSCRP, which is an inflammatory marker, also related to cardiac events. So we're seeing this increased CRP, and thus we can also come back and say, okay, with the virus itself, are we also seeing increased inflammation? And the answer is yes. So that's what's pushing up your antibodies. At the end of the day, I don't care about your antibodies. I care about that free T3 being in the toilet. So your free T3 is a 2.1. That's what we have to look at and treat. Now, L. Russ and I have talked about this as well. Sometimes during sickness, maybe during COVID, you might have needed at that time a little bit more T3. So if your free T3 was a 3.5 and you had no symptoms and then you got COVID and bam, now you have all these symptoms and your free T3 tanked, Oh yeah. Okay. So maybe your body needed more T3 during times of sickness. Totally possible. Your reverse T3 is a 13. That's kind of right on the border. So you didn't say what medication and what dose you're on, but all of that would come into play as well. So what I would do is, you know, stick with your lifestyle of lowering stress, getting good sleep, all of the things, but you really want to kind of revisit your medication and your dose and maybe change that up. And hopefully your doctor is open to that. If not, reach out to me. But I would definitely do that. I would add in C60, C60 Purple Power. I carry it on my store because I believe in it so much. It is, I mean, amazing at lowering inflammation. So my friend Jess owns the company and she sent me a couple of bottles of C60 after I had COVID last August. And I was chugging that. I mean, I was taking more than the recommended dose because it's such an amazing product at lowering inflammation and keeping that cytokine storm at bay and also helps with hair too, by the way. So those of you suffering from thyroid hair loss, C68 Purple Power, it's on my store. I would add that in for sure because that's going to just lower your whole body inflammation. But again, girl, we got to get back to that, that free T3 being so low. I mean, that's really, yeah. I mean, that that's really low that we have to, we, we have to revisit. Angelica, you posted some labs. Now, let me see if I can do this on here because people are going to be listening. So the results that you posted, and this is what you can do in the Love Your Mirror group, by the way, guys. So jump in there. Because you can make your own separate post, not just have to wait for a Q&A post or a podcast. 36 hours fasting shows all numbers in range except antibodies. And I have goiters. So that might mean that you need some iodine because I, low iodine is a huge contributor to nodules and goiters. 
Of course, you're only on T4, 25 micrograms of Synthroid. When I benefit from T3 or from T2, tons of inflammation. All right, let's look at these. So you guys can't see them. I'll read them off. Her free T3 is a 2.8. Reverse T3 is a 13. Her free T4 is a 1.1. Yes, her antibodies are both high. And TSH is a 2.25. So right away, we know that you're kind of borderline on not being able to convert properly. And that's going to be the problem with the Synthroids. You have to be careful of increasing your Synthroid. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. 100% you'll benefit from T3 added in because that is going to bring up that free T3 level and will help the reverse T3 from going any higher. Although there are other things that can increase reverse T3. T2, of course, is going to come in and help because that's going to increase, like we said earlier, your basal metabolic rate, mitochondrial function, ATP production, so many, so many benefits, totally separate podcasts on it. It doesn't eat muscle like T3 does, although T3 is beneficial. T2 has an affinity to just target fat and protect your muscle. And it also has been shown to have some muscle stimulatory properties to it, meaning that we're actually seeing a little bit of muscle growth. And I mean, I mean a little bit, it's not like you're going to go from nothing to looking like a bodybuilder, but a little bit of muscle growth from the T2 as well. So that I would absolutely add in, but you need to work with your doc to add in a little bit of T3. And in this case, I would even say possibly LDN, low dose naltrexone will come in and that will also lower antibodies. And I cannot tie in the LDN back to Joanna's question of increasing antibodies. If you add in some low-dose naltrexone, that can also help reduce antibodies and reduce inflammation overall. All right, this one's from Mary. If your T3 is below optimal, but you feel good, do you need to worry about the lab numbers? We have often seen people come with a free T3 of a 2.9 and they feel great. And Elle and I joked about this and we said, you know, we might see someone's free T3 at a 2.9 and we ask them, well, okay, how are you doing? Right? Because that's four most important words. How are you doing? How are you feeling? They're like, oh, I'm great. I've lost weight. My energy's up. I'm fantastic. Okay. Well, then we'll just leave it alone. I'm not going to throw more T3 at you just based on a number because you are more than a lab value. How you feel is everything. How you feel is everything. Do not ever let a doctor, and I'll do the flip side for you, Mary, don't ever let a doctor tell you that you're normal and everything's fine when you know that you're not. When you know deep inside that you are not okay, <laughs> you listen to that because how you feel is everything. Flip side, back to Mary. If you're feeling good, we're not going to worry about it. We're not going to touch it. We're just going to leave that alone, 100%. Elisa, my testosterone is 18. Woo! It was suggested to use a pellet. You don't recommend. What do you suggest I do to get my testosterone up? You're already on hormone fixer. That's good. You have so many symptoms of low testosterone. That's bad. So yeah, you want to be on hormone fixer, but with an 18, I would pair that up with a testosterone cream or injectable. Obviously, your doctor has to approve of this and write it for you. Um, but yeah, that's where we really kind of want to bring that up to a 50. I just had a conversation in one of the groups I'm in with a bunch of functional pr prescribers, providers, and we were talking about testosterone and kind of going back and forth and the experiences of 
patients who have pellets. And what pellets do, and I've seen this myself, is raise your testosterone to a male level. And this is where we'll see a lot of the the DHT rise and the hair loss. You know, women will say, well, I took testosterone. I lost my hair. I go, what'd you do? Like, I did a pellet. I'm like, that's why. Because the pellets raise your testosterone so high that you get that hair shedding and that DHT hair loss from the testosterone being that high. And then you crash and you drop down the other side inevitably and you go low again, probably back to an 18 after being at a 700. So that's what pellets do. Another patient the other day, and I love being able to pull from these stories because they're real world stories. They just happen. Another patient in my group program. And in my group program, those members have a prescriber. In my one-on-one program, we give you the prescriber. So we, I have prescribers as part of my team and we cover that for you. No problem. In the group program, the one woman had checked with her doctor regarding testosterone injections because it was determined through looking at her blood work, very much like you, Lisa, had low testosterone. It's like, well, we need to get this up. So the nice thing about injectable testosterone is that it's nice and steady. So this doctor comes back to her and says, well, the injectable testosterone is not bioidentical. First of all, yes, it is. It's the exact testosterone that's being made by your body. So yeah, it is. And she said, and injectables are too erratic. They they rise and, and drop you. Okay, again, no, they don't. When you are injecting the testosterone like I do, and like I have my patients do, into fat subcutaneously, that actually slows the release and keeps you at a much more steady level. Now, if you're female, obviously it's still going to be every week, once a week, once every seven to 10 days will be your injection schedule. Now, sometimes when we really try to get a number up, we might go twice a week with a female, whereas a guy might do it every day to every other day for a microdose. But when you inject it into fat, it slows the distribution rate. So you get a much more steady state. And this will help you bypass the cream trial, unless all your doctor is going to do is cream and then, hey, you got to do cream, right? But it'll bypass that cream because a lot of people will start on a cream and it's not absorbed. It depends on the thickness of your skin and where you apply it and how it's compounded and what they're compounding it with. So creams are fine for some people. And then for others, I just like to go right for the injections because that will keep your numbers up a little bit better. Melody asks, are all PUFAs bad? Just wondering about the health advice for people having flaxseed oil, evening primrose oil, borage oil, ALA, nuts and seeds, especially nut and seed milks and flour is popular in keto. Aren't those fats supposed to be good for you? I'm confused. Melody, I am going to be, and this will be coming up in January, so it might not be released until maybe February, but I am going to be interviewing uh, Dr. Lane Norton. And he is, I'm, I'm smiling right now if you're, if you're listening to this because the dude is brilliant and he has no bullshit whatsoever. So what I love about him, he's a bodybuilder, powerlifter too, got his PhD in nutrition. I mean, he's just a brainiac, biochemistry, everything. And he will break down a study and rip it to shreds. And it's interesting because a lot of the concepts, and I, and I told them, I said, when I have you on, I'm going to eat some crow on a couple of things. 
because the way that he broke down these studies, it's like, hmm, wait a minute. Maybe we all are wrong here. So you have to keep an open mind. But one of the things he talks about is PUFAs and the difference between saturated fatty acids and polyunsaturated fatty acids. And it's really kind of about the balance in your life. So, and this is a tough question to answer because I see where he's coming from with this, right? I see him breaking down the studies and I step back and I go, Hmm, you know what? Maybe there's something to this. But then you hear so many people, Ben Azadi, Dr. Shanahan, talk about PUFAs and PUFAs go poof. And that's what causes the oxidative stress in your body and the inflammation. I think, honestly, and this is going to go against everything that you hear in this functional world, but how about some moderation? How about you just live life and not overly focus on the PUFAs? So if you want some nuts and seeds and you want to cook with almond flour, Go ahead and do that and don't confuse it. I mean, unless you are reacting to oxalates and that has nothing to do with the PUFAs, that's totally separate. The oxalates that are in like spinach and kale and almonds. Yeah. Okay. If you're reacting to those, take them out. But otherwise, enjoy your nut milk, enjoy your seed milk, enjoy your nut flour. How about you some olive oil? Maybe a little bit of flax. How about you just avoid the canola oil? Cause that's just garbage, right? I mean, there's no two ways about that. Just avoid the corn oil and the canola oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil. I don't know. Just moderation. How many of you are actually cooking with sunflower and safflower oil? You know, add in some avocado oil, add in some coconut oil, because that's good for you too. Linoleic acid and it's fantastic. Balance, balance. Yeah. On the one hand, put away the fry daddy from 1985. Don't use the vegetable oil. Don't use canola oil to cook with. Don't get out your Betty Crocker book that calls for a cup of Crisco, use butter instead, find the balance somewhere in between. So you're not hyper-focused on avoiding the PUFAs and then you have a crap ton of saturated fat. Find the balance. What are your thoughts about GLP-1 receptor agonist medications for insulin resistance and weight loss? Like Ozempic, Ribelis, there's a new one, Manjaro out. 12 years ago, I tried metformin, had horrible side effects, refused to take it made a decision to change my diet and lifestyle. She's been able to manage it. Did intermittent fasting and keto as well as wearing a CGM was not enough. So she gave in to taking ribelsis, which is not a common one. Or maybe it is a common one, but I'm in the peptide world of semaglutide and terzepatide, which is Ozempic and Monjaro. I'm on a very low dose of three milligrams for the first 30 days and it'll be increased to seven Many people have had great success with lowering A1C and weight loss. My concerns are the GI side effects and possible thyroid tumors. So only seen in rat studies. You're correct. So Joanne, I have tried Manjaro. It absolutely freaking works. I've had patients that tried semaglutide ozempic. It absolutely works. We will not use it long-term for anyone that has had medullary thyroid cancer. That is a contraindication, 100%. It's not going to spontaneously cause a thyroid tumor if you have not had a previous history of. And I would say any of these once a week injectables, you're going to be using it short term. You know, I mean, listen, unless you are a full blown diabetic, your insulin is through the roof. You know, it, it's coming in at 50, 100. Uh, your A1C is above a six, then yeah, you might be on it longer term, 
But eventually, I would like to work everyone down to kind of using it as maintenance. Do one injectable once a month. So you're doing, you know, it's a once a week injectable, it lasts a week. So you're getting in a week, maybe two per month of the semaglutide, the Rebelsis, whatever it is, Ozempic, Manjaro, and then you're taking a break. So that's where you kind of want to work towards is that maintenance phase, that kind of biohacking phase where we're taking it for weight maintenance, weight steadiness, but also the protection of the brain, the cardiovascular protection, the reduction of cancer because you don't have an elevated A1C and insulin. So I do like them. The latest one, Monjaro, has less GI side effects. So the semaglutide, you get nauseous. I mean, hands down. The Monjaro can still cause some nausea in certain people, but where the semaglutide is 90% nausea rate, especially the first week or two as you're getting used to it, the Monjaro, the trisepatide is like a 10% nausea rate. Some people will still get it and some people won't. And then you can also take the berberine with it, but I always tell people to watch your blood sugar when you are taking the berberine because that can drop your blood sugar too low and you might not feel very good. All right, we are done. I didn't even get to the questions in the comments section. Anyone who made them over there, make sure that you jump to the Dr. Amy Thyroid Fixer Love Your Mirror group because I want you all to love your mirror when you look in it and join there. And we will absolutely do this again because it was so much fun. And I want to be able to answer your questions. You're the listener. You're the patient. I want to hear from you. I don't want to be chattering up here about you know, EMFs and you're like, can we talk about thyroid medication and COVID and peptides and T3 and sensitivity? And yeah, let's do it. So jump in that group. We're going to do this again. hundred percent. Been so much fun. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you loved it. And as always, if you would be so kind to leave a review, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely amazing. I read all of them. Also, anything that you hear on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition. So we always recommend that you check with your medical provider, your doctor, your nurse practitioner before implementing anything that you hear on this podcast. And if you want to find out more about working together, you can click the link below in the show notes to book a discovery call. And there you'll be talking to a member of my team. They are an extension of me. They are amazing. And you and I will talk after that once we get you all signed up and you and I get to work together. All right. I hope to see you soon.